Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. October 2022. The phone in the Scottish National Party's Glasgow East constituency office started to ring. Caseworker Emily picked up, and a desperate woman on the other end of the line started telling her story. The woman's younger sister, a child, was being married to a man against her will. Their father had just died, and her uncle was attempting to force his niece into wedlock. The child wasn't in the United Kingdom, nor was she a citizen. But her sister was a constituent, and her sister was desperate. So the MP and his staff snapped into action. They worked on the case for weeks and weeks. They wrote letter after letter to the Foreign Office, to the Home Office, and to the girls' boarding school in Pakistan. And finally, they succeeded. They got the girl into Scotland and out of the arranged marriage. A couple of months later, the office was quiet, Everyone was working at their desks and the buzzer rang. It was the woman. She walked in with her newly arrived younger sister. She told the team, you saved our little girl's life. Emily, the caseworker, who had picked up the phone that day, listened and thanked them. After they left, she dropped to the floor and sobbed. You need things like that. You need people to come in and say thank you and you need to have a cry. Anyone who does this and doesn't get emotional yeah. is... Dead Yeah. <laughs> I mean, more often than not, it is potholes and overgrown trees, but every now and then they completely transform my life. This is Emily and Ian, caseworkers in the office of SNP Member of Parliament, David Linden. At any given time, I can have between 10 and 60 emails in my inbox, and if I don't get to that email quick enough, what happens then? Because you've kind of got to be a counsellor and a social worker and a doctor. People are looking at us to give them advice and we're not the experts. Caseworkers are the first line of defence when a member of the public gets in touch with their MP. And when a constituent needs help, caseworkers provide information, guidance, as well as lobbying on their behalf. MP's casework ranges from the totally banal to the completely extraordinary. And for David Linden's staff, it's all done from a little ground floor office in the middle of Glasgow, which they share with a giant Collie Cross dog. We usually only see our MPs making grand speeches in the Commons, taking part in the latest Westminster Ding Dong, or, if you're lucky enough to work in the Palace, queuing up for coffee at the dispatch box in Portcullis House. But when Parliament isn't debating and voting on legislation, most MPs head back to their constituencies. And while they're there, 
they try to solve ordinary people's problems. I know, I know, not all MPs are great at this. Some are absolutely crap constituency MPs. They're based in London and only deign to visit their patch when an election is nearing. Some MPs really do just spend their whole summer recess sunning themselves in the med. But one thing's for certain. Wherever they are, SW1 is completely empty. So since Westminster Insider is back from its season break and Parliament is not, I took the opportunity to go and watch what some MPs get up to away from Westminster. I chose three politicians to spend the day with who are all described to me as good constituency MPs. I watched them go out canvassing, which didn't always end in total success. Hello, I'm Duncan, your local MP. Conservative. I'm not interested at all. I met a lot of dogs. Oh my god, there are two ginormous dogs. <gasps> god, sweet dogs. Lots of dogs around here. I spotted the only farmer in Glasgow East. Literally one farm. Literally one farm. And like one farmer. Yeah, one and farmer. That's him and that's that him that's just gone by. In the tractor. I found out message discipline is not just for broadcast interviews. My father's an NHS dentist for 40 years. My father was an NHS dentist for 40 years. So my dad was an NHS dentist. My father was an NHS dentist for 40 yeah. years. He worked his socks off for the NHS. I tried iron brew for the first time. Really sorry, not, not a fan? Oh, no! Shocking, right? You can have the cork then. Sorry, sorry. And Welsh cakes. See, have you ever had a Welsh cake? I've never had a Welsh cake. We go out here genuinely delicious. But I also heard stories of total and utter desperation. I'm waiting all the time, all day, and no one answers me. Nobody's getting back to me. I'm getting no help anywhere. So, from Politico, I'm Maggie Chambray. And this week on Westminster Insider, I'm travelling across the country, hearing the stories constituents tell their MPs when they have nowhere else to turn, and asking, is this how our politicians should be spending their time? After the inevitable train delays and various cancellations, I finally made it to Pontypridd in Wales. We are now at Pontypridd. Hi. Hi. Shadow Digital Minister Alex Davies-Jones picks me up from the station in her white people carrier. Her constituency is huge, shaped like a hexagon in the middle of Wales. We're in a valley and as such, surrounded by green hills. I'm there on an exceptionally sunny day, which she and others point out to me is a rarity. This is our town. Um, it's the biggest town in the valleys, in Rhondda and Taff, in our local authority. But yeah, we are just driving around the uh, town centre now and we are heading to Ridvelin. Alex Davies-Jones was elected in 2019. The seat was previously held by one-time Labour leadership contender Owen Smith. Davies-Jones was born and raised in the area and lives in the same village she's lived in all her life. Her mum lives on the next street and, she says, wouldn't forgive her if she moved. Her brother is still persona non grata after relocating an hour down the road. Safe to say, Davies-Jones knows the area very well. So we've got, to the south of the constituency, we border the M4 corridor in Cardiff. So you've got the commuter belt area of families who've moved out of Cardiff for bigger homes with bigger gardens and and a nicer, quiet area than the city. But then, as, you, as you'll see now, we go right into the heart of the constituency to the north, proper valleys community, uh, where there is a lot of deprivation and there is a lot of struggles. 
On our way to our constituency office, we swing by a community centre offering free courses for local kids over the summer. Lots of them turn up hungry. Some kids play on their phones because there's no Wi-Fi at home. Come on then, we're going to form a choir. Davies Jones and a volunteer with a guitar take the floor. We drive back through the windy villages and arrive at Ponty Town's Market Street. Alex Davies Jones's office is sandwiched between a beauty salon and a sports shop. Just one person is booked into today's constituency surgery. A man in his 40s diagnosed with MS, a degenerative disease. He walks with the aid of a stick but is struggling to get benefits. He arrives with his mother and son. The family asks to remain anonymous. There's no one to help us, they say. There's nowhere to turn. The man has been refused a face-to-face appointment. He was assessed over the phone and afterwards he was refused PIP, personal independence payments. After the meeting, Alex Davies-Jones talks through what happened. The gentleman appealed the decision and was overruled without having to, without even being able to present any more extenuating evidence in support of his claim. And the letter that they received, the language is incredibly degrading. It is automated in the sense of, I have decided that you can use the toilet. I have decided that you are able to cook unaided. I have decided you can do this without ever even meeting him. For somebody who is ill and is in need of support, that, that just cannot be allowed to happen. She told the family she'll put them in touch with a local support group and will help them write a new application to the Department of Work and Pensions. It's that uh, not even knowing where to go for support. Nobody will help me. No one understands. No one is trying to help me. Everybody is closing doors in my face or putting obstacles in my way. There's nobody even out there who will listen to me about what I'm facing. And just being able to come here to the office, come to a surgery and talk to an MP and a caseworker about what you're going through and then actually listening and trying to help, it, it can be immensely relieving for somebody, just, just getting it off your chest. It didn't used to be like this. It's only in the last few years that MPs have become this one-stop shop for every problem under the sun. A different MP told me the level of casework they receive has increased exponentially in the last few years. People don't have social workers anymore. They don't have that support network, so they come to us for that support. And that has now become part of the job. Gone are the days when MPs would just deal with legislation or policy and be a voice in Westminster representing local views. We are now that person who will write to the health board, put them in touch with local charities and organisations who can help, speak to the police, do all the local things to the local authority, try and speak to social services. It is that conduit. It's interesting that sort of people come in and just say, I need help, and you sort of seem to be the last resort for people. Is that how it feels? Yeah, it is. It is, def- it is definitely the last resort. Normally, people will try and resolve their issues themselves. They will try to go down the appropriate avenues. And then when we hit brick wall, we will go to the MP. Or if every door has been shut in our faces, then we'll go and see the MP and see if they can help. Sometimes it's even it's better when they just come in and mourn about their bins or dog mess, because you think that's fine. But what is, it's hard when it's personal. Today wasn't, wasn't so emotional, it wasn't too bad. It, it's hard hearing that, hearing what they're going through. But sometimes when it is really, really tough for people and they have no hope left, that's when it can be really, really hard. And you try ever not to cry at them. 
it's a different sort of role. It's, you sort of need training. Do you feel like you're qualified? Do you feel like your caseworkers are qualified to just sort of take on really complex cases and talk to people that are really emotionally vulnerable and just sort of, do you ever feel like, oh my God, I, I can't do this? There have been some occasions, some surgeries where we've both left them and just cried and hugged each other, me and my caseworker, where constituents have left us and we've tried to hold it together when they're present, but then they've gone and we just think, my goodness, what do we do? Um, we weren't prepared for that. And it does play on your mind. You worry about those constituents who are in a really, really desperate situation and you you want to help. You know, some people might say, what a waste of time. Like, shouldn't MPs just kind of be in Westminster legislating and that this kind of work should fall to social workers and kind of councillors who can plug the gap? This part of the work is vitally important for an MP. Of course, there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance of being a legislature, being in... Westminster doing that job, representing the views of your constituents. But how do you know the views of your constituents if you don't see the day-to-day challenges that they face? Now that we've had that case come in today, I can now go to the Minister directly, I can raise this in Parliament. It's important to know, actually, what are the challenges, what are the blockages, where's policy failing, and how do we amend that? And also, where's policy working, so we can look to replicate that in other areas. But being a constituency MP and hosting surgeries is the most important part of the job, I think. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. We do it to make a difference. Four hundred miles north, in Glasgow East, David Linden and his team are also trying to fix what they can and plaster over the rest. The problem that comes up the most for Alex Davies Jones's constituents is cost of living. For David Linden and his team, it's housing. I meet Lyndon in a pleasant Italian cafe around the corner from his house. After a delicious breakfast of scrambled eggs, the iron brew came later. We're ready to start our day and wander over to the bus stop to travel to his constituency office. Everywhere we go, Lyndon points out a personal connection. His old school, a church he preached at. The bus stop is opposite the house where his old history teacher lives. The constituency of Glasgow East is small, four and a half miles from one end to the other, but is densely populated. It has nine train stations, nine tower blocks and three motorways. This is the number two, which runs all the way from Bayliston, centre of the universe, through the... I can have two old tickets to Shepston, please. itself, if you're to kind of read kind of metropolitan London-based newspapers, everybody would think that Glasgow East is kind of riddled with unemployment. Everybody dies at 52. Doesn't that's not to say that there aren't lots of challenges, but the demographics of the constituency have changed an awful lot in recent years, particularly as a result of new build housing, um, especially out to the east of the constituency. Um, so you've got a lot of kind of young families that have moved in. Um, you know, they've got mortgages, they've got car loans, um, many of them will be working in Glasgow City Centre. Um, and so, whilst it's fair to say that there's still, you know, an unemployment rate that's double that of the UK national average, there is elements of the constituency where there's, you know, a lot of retired people who are relatively comfortably off. The bus takes us to the constituency office, but before we get inside, we meet his security. Hi, how are you doing? The lad, you know, security today, is that right? A young woman called Courtney a trained security guard, will be posted outside the office during the surgery. 
All MPs are now offered this, following the murder of their colleague David Amos two years ago in his constituency. Five years before that, Jo Cox was stabbed and killed in her constituency. These attacks never felt far from the minds of the parliamentarians I spent time with. Alex Davies-Jones' office has CCTV and she says she informs the police about her movements. Back in David Linden's constituency office, there is an offer of tea, but only with soy milk. Tea? Yes, please. We only have soy milk. I'll take it. No, no, I've got soy milk. The first thing I noticed when I walked into the office, apart from the lack of normal milk, was that the walls are covered in thank you cards. Yeah, sometimes they still sell send us thank you cards and get boxes of chocolates and biscuits. This is family that we helped get the visa. Um, so it's a couple that were getting married. So it's, it's a couple that went through the church actually. But I remember that one because that was basically the, the guy. The guy's Scottish, and his, his wife was pregnant, and they were looking to kind of set their, their kind of life up here in, in Glasgow. And the Home Office wouldn't give them a visa. Uh, and there was literally, it was like on the cusp before she gave birth. So, you know, that's pretty cool. This is a reminder of why we do the job. The thing that I always find a bit odd is just how much of people's lives they're willing to kind of tell you about. And sometimes it's not completely pleasant. Yeah, they like to um, pour their trauma out on you. This is David's caseworker, Emily. But you're maybe the only person I've spoken to that week. Yeah, and loneliness is a massive, massive issue. And one of the frustrations, and I know speaking for the guys here, is that I think sometimes people view us as a bit of a blue light service. Um, So we we have, it's not uncommon for the guys to take phone calls from folk who are on the verge of suicide. Um, And I'm not necessarily sure, I started off as a caseworker in 2008, well, you wouldn't have had to do mental health first aid training, but these guys have had to do mental health first aid training because they've got folk at the end of the line saying, I'm about to, to go through the suicide. Uh, what do you do? So we've had a lady who um, had called us and she had self-harmed pretty badly. Um, it was a case of one person keeps her on the phone and the other person uses another phone to go and phone 999 and just sort of try and help her out. So she was known to the to the ambulance services, so luckily enough they were able to get in and get her sorted, and that was our job done. But yes. if that other person doesn't go and pick up the phone, then you know how how do I, as an employer, expect my casework team to go home at night, knowing that somebody has potentially gone through with an act of suicide? I I, I don't expect that that's the kind of the issues that really they, they should have to deal with, but it's just a the blunt reality of how some of my constituents live. Why is it now that people call up their MP's office where they wouldn't before? Some of it's probably visibility. Um, you know, like 40 years ago, you know, an MP probably received, I don't know, 15 letters a week. I would be willing to wager a bet with you that in the time that, that since we've walked through the door to this surgery starting, we'll have had 15 casework items in my inbox in that, that hour. We go into David's office as the surgery is about to start. So every 15 minutes we'll have somebody coming along. Mm-hmm. So a whole kind of array of cases today went to the Home Office, NHS, back to the Home Office. Basically, was that a kind of local council issue because the guys get trees that are blocking lights at his home and then homelessness as well. 
speak to me about today. The first woman enters and immediately bursts into tears. No, that's fine. That's all right. That's okay. That's all right. Take your time. There's there's absolutely no no sweat. I'm getting no help anywhere. Okay. She's in recovery on a methadone program and feels like the state is failing her. Let me take some details. I'm just going to give you some tissues. I'm sorry, I've been feeling this for months. Don't worry, that's okay. I'm getting no help, she says over and over again. All I got was punished, I just made it ten times worse. David Linden says he will help. I'm concerned that you're not getting the the support that you need. Now, it's it's quite clear just from the, the five minutes that they've been talking that you're incredibly overwhelmed now and that this is putting you into a stressful situation that frankly you don't need to to have at the moment. It's after this that David Linden's constituent says there's more. She's a domestic violence victim and no one will answer her calls. She can't get any social housing and after her dog died she feels she's back near square one in her recovery. Lyndon and his caseworker tell her they will write letters on every issue. After 15 minutes, she thanks them for their time and leaves the room, armed with the MP's business card and a promise that they'll be back in touch. Unless she starts to get more support pretty quickly, um, our situation will get a lot worse. Um, so our job is to try and get as many of the kind of support organisations to be working alongside each other uh, and more intensively with her. Because um, I shudder to think what's going to happen in this case if we don't get that pretty quickly. But yeah, first 10-15 minutes in, that's a pretty accurate reflection of all the issues that I explained this morning are prevalent in my constituency. You've got in there health inequalities, you've got in there drugs, you've got in there housing. And this, this is the, the bit where... I and my casework team struggle because how, how do you just kind of leave that at the door? Lyndon's next appointment has arrived. The next one is the gentleman who's concerned about trees blocking light at home. And I've got to now pivot very quickly to dealing with somebody who's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's a fairly minor issue. But for him, it's the more, most important issue he's dealing with. Another side of a... Okay. I get no sunlight because it, the sun comes up that way and it goes uh-huh. over to there to about 11 o'clock, yeah. goes behind the trees, and it goes behind the house, and it goes behind the other trees which I've got. Yeah. And there's, n- well, each of these trees is taller in the building. Right, okay. Now I sent uh, information to the Glasgow Tesla Council yep. two years ago. Okay. And then he went and replied. Mention. So I'll copy that to you. I'm going to give you a card with my details on it, so my Thank email address and phone numbers on there. If you get anything else, give me a wee shout. Um, but let me go into this. And right, see, okay. you. see you later, folks. Right, all best. And it's a home office case. You're looking yes. A couple walk in with an 18-month-old baby. There's a, there's a little toy there to keep them occupied. One year ago, I received a work permission. Uh-huh. So, and I'm still waiting This man is an asylum seeker. He's been granted the right to work, but the Home Office has sent him four identical cards in the post saying he can't work, so he's currently unable to earn any money at all. At this point, their baby starts fussing. What we're going to do is I'm going to find a wee wee Peppa Pig or something like that for him to watch. Oh, yeah. Well, here we go. (laughs) Right. This works terrifyingly quickly. so, So these are the four different cards that the Home Office has yes. sent you by mistake. 
I'm going to write to the Home Office and explain to them no that there's clearly been an error here um, and to get the new card issued for you to allow you to work um, and we can see <laughs> what we can do. But um, I need it. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I mean, things are really hard now. Everybody needs to make an income. Um, if you are allowed to work, you should be able to work. Funnily enough, I sit on the Work and Pension Select Committee. Yeah, Courtney? 10.45. 10.45? Uh, so 10.30 hasn't showed up yet. Uh, that's fine. The morning uh, continues. We hear from another asylum case, a woman whose children are living in a different country to her and she can only see them on FaceTime. And finally, someone facing homelessness. This is a pretty carbon copy of every subsidy we ever do. There's nothing in here that surprised me today at all. Common thing that we hear is, you know, uh, it's tugs and hearts things quite a fair bit. People saying, you're my last hope, you know, this yeah. is all I've got left. Um, but I am not joking when I say I could fill my day with subsidies, just subsidies. Mm. Um, now I've got to get a balance between getting around the rest of my constituency being a legislator, that's why I've got a casework team Even with a team David Linden says he's unusual in signing off all casework himself but he admits this is partly because he has a very small majority and every vote will help in the upcoming general election After the surgery, I went to speak to his caseworkers, Emily and Ian. Now, I've been thinking a lot about constituency caseworkers, ever since I made the podcast, what it's like to work for an MP. While I was speaking to people about doing that episode, I came across a former caseworker. He told me he'd quit his job after someone had rung up in desperate distress. They said they would kill themselves unless he talked them out of it. He did but realised afterwards he simply didn't have the training to deal with such a thing. As I sat with Emily and Ian, I realised this awful situation was far from a one-off. It's kind of funny how you learn how to just shut yourself off to folk. Like, you can spend a whole day dealing with a number of cases that are quite heavy, and you've just got to almost treat people like they're a wee number, you know, like, rather than a person, just so that you can get... Get through the day. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible because when you think back on it, you go, oh God. My it's dad like, was a firefighter and he used to do that. He used to, because every single day he'd, he'd be dealing with severely burnt people or people who had lost all their possessions or dead people. And he said you just had to become like stone. Um, but. I think I, as well, I when you come into this job, when you go to be a firefighter, you know you're going to see yeah. bad things. When you go to be a nurse, you know you're going to go and see bad things. So we just want an office. We just work, <laughs> we just work in an office. We didn't train to be social workers. No. We didn't train to be firefighters and nurses. Like There was another lady whose sister was being forced into marriage. She was just a young young girl. Basically a child. Yeah, the dad had just, our dad had just died as well, which is why she was being forced in by our, our uncles. And we managed to get um, this girl over to the UK, despite the fact she wasn't a UK citizen, but her sister was, um, just because of the, the whole forced marriage aspect of it and the fact that she was underage. Um, and the woman came in and with, with the little girl, and she was a little girl. She, she'd never been put in that position. And the woman came in and she said, you've, you've saved this little girl's life. You've And they left, and I stood against the door and just dropped to the floor, <laughs> crying my eyes out. Coming up the endless quest for an NHS dentist and a challenge to the local MP. If you can find me an NHS dentist, you'll get my boot. If you don't, you won't. Stay with us. Hi. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A message from Lloyds Banking Group. Lloyds Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. Albra Green. North Norfolk, Albra Green. We're 400 miles from Glasgow and it feels like a different planet from David Linden's constituency surgery. It's as picturesque an English village as they come. I stepped out of the car into a scene that honestly wouldn't feel out of place in a Richard Curtis movie. A square of green grass surrounded by houses with actual thatched roofs, ivy growing up walls and giant sash windows. Duncan Baker, the local Tory MP, arrives just on time. He drives a white BMW, he's wearing cufflinks with the words, trust me, on them, and he's even brought a gazebo with his name emblazoned upon it. Hi Duncan! Good to see you. How are you? Hi, I'm really well, thank you so much for having me. It's alright. I hear we're putting up a gazebo. Get a no! Can we push these up? Yeah. Duncan Baker is in the middle of his annual summer tour. He's spending every day in August at a different spot in North Norfolk. Now, as constituencies go, North Norfolk is huge. It takes an hour and a half to drive from one side to the other. So on the summer tour, Duncan Baker and his team write to everyone who lives in whatever village they're going to be in and invites them to come and talk to him about their problems. Last Wednesday, he started at 10am. At three minutes to ten, there was already a queue. Right, Matthew, if you uh, operate crowd control... No, you're not, there's a queue already. <laughs> now, I should say, I picked a random day to shadow this MP. Norfolk is economically diverse, but we happen to be in an area where the issue that came up most was power cuts rather than cost of living. One of the first women who comes to speak to her MP brings her mug of tea, still warm, from her house across the square. She wants to talk about her son, who's renting locally. He's got a family of three little ones. Yeah. Now, there are a few long-term lets on the green. Yeah. And we hoped this would be one of them, but so far they've been there two, three years. Yeah. They're quite a big family, as you can imagine, three children. Well, their landlord has now said, well, we need to put your rent up by £300 a month. So I will back the new renters' reform bill that's coming, which puts in stipulations... How long is that going to be? Because he's been told he's got to get out. 
So this is his problem because yeah. he hasn't, he can't find three hundred pounds. If your son is in real desperate situations and he knows who the landlord is, you know me. I will always try and sit down and help people if I can. Mm. It's not my book to book to sort of get involved in people's personal finances. No, but you know me. I will yeah, yeah, personally yeah. sit down and I will go above and beyond and say, look, can I help at all? And if I can, I will try. All right? All right? Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Of course, I only saw a snapshot. But in this part of Norfolk, far more than the other two places I visited, people seem much more interested in national issues. The small boats and immigrants in general, yes. right? I may be different to an awful lot of people because yes. I think this country needs a number of people immigrating into the country. Right, I was going to have a moan about the boats. Yes, we've just had that from, from the previous gentleman. But why on earth aren't they just put back on a ferry and sent back? But there was one issue that came up again and again that was personal to people. Dentists. We used to have an NHS dentist, always have done, uh, uh, that surgery closed down. Then we got an NHS one at Alsham, down Red Lion Street. And then in COVID, uh, of course, everything stopped. They they, they wouldn't answer the phone, emergencies only. Even then wouldn't answer. And then when they finally did answer the phone, the NHS part had gone, they were private. So last we went... That cost us £600 for four fillings, uh, two checkups, two checkups and, and your, and, and your, your, your teeth cleaned. £600 and it's a racket. So uh, if you can find me an NHS dentist, you'll get my boot. If you don't, you won't. That's, Excellent. There is a, there that's is a straightforward a, task for you. Excellent. I did hear that the Sheringham practice was opening its patient list to NHS dentistry only last week you might want to give them a call see if they've got any space if you can find as I said my ten minutes must be up so uh, if you can find me an NHS dentist ring around and say I've got someone I'll get my well I hope that's help- helpful uh, well we'll see yeah. I brought that made my point now, if you uh, do get on the patient list will you write to me and let me know just drop me an email I certainly yes. would yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. if you fi- if you do me that favour <laughs> I'll write and thank you No one else tried this unashamedly transactional style of local politics, but many others came to Duncan with the same issue. It's one that's close to home for him, as you'll remember. So my dad was an NHS dentist. Father was an NHS dentist for 40 years. Perhaps it's because of his dad. Or maybe it's his role as an aide to the health secretary, Steve Barclay. But whatever it is, Baker also offers advice to constituents and journalists on how to clean their teeth. Most people don't, don't brush their teeth properly. This yeah. is one of the great problems. So, Aggie, when you brush your teeth tonight, don't do it with lots of water. That dilutes it, actually. Don't do that. Just brush your teeth, spit it out at the end, and that's done. At this point during the surgery, a barefoot man in yoga gear popped over to say hello. It transpired this man was the parish chair. It all felt a bit like, well... Oh, it's like an episode of The Archers. <laughs> My main takeaways from this surgery or Radio 4 Play, whatever you want to call it, was that it felt far more political than the other two I'd been to. People came along to the surgery to moan, their words, about issues they'd heard about in the news. At least two people told Duncan Baker they wouldn't be voting Conservative at the next election, but both apologised to him for that. It wasn't about him, they said. Personally, he seemed popular and locally very well known. 
After the surgery and a very quick and a healthy oh, yeah. lunch of chips at the local pub, Baker went door knocking, which seemed to me to be mostly an exercise in gathering even more casework. How can I help you? He asked everyone he came across. Most people were receptive to him, apart from the one guy who slammed the door in his face. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm Duncan, your local MP. Oh, you're a liberal? No, Conservative. I'm not interested at all. You're a liberal, are you? No. No? (laughs) In the car, we talked about his recess workload. Yeah, summer recesses for me are probably quadruple the amount of hard work that it is when I'm in apartments. Because when I'm back home, I'm absolutely out there every single day trying to sort out issues for people, trying to help people. It's so, it's so, it's so interesting though, because as I say, kind of people wouldn't expect this. And I wonder whether sort of you feel like this stuff should be picked up by you know the council or people locally, and you should sort of spend more time in Westminster making laws. Yeah, so, I mean, I didn't recognise probably what the role was going to be like when I first got into it, and you, a good MP seems to cover every base. Is that the right way of doing it? Probably not. You get different MPs operate in different ways. Some will be very, very focused on sort of legislative measures. Others will do the role the way I do it. I'm not sure there's a right or wrong answer, but in effect you end up sometimes sacrificing your parliamentary career because you're so heavily active from a local perspective Mm. Um, now is that is that right it probably isn't because I think our role should be as primary legislators it shouldn't necessarily be about dealing with somebody who's got issues with having their bins emptied but you're seeing it evolve more in that fashion because people are becoming more localised with their vote Uh, they vote a lot more not just on party lines but on how strong their MP is what their reputation is how how hard they work for the area but I mean we are dealing with tens of thousands of issues and queries and problems that people bring to us and actually we shouldn't be doing that you know if things worked if local council district or county or whatever health services or whatever it was um, was functioning you know, 100% you'd never need to go to your MP I mean I personally could never imagine a million years ever writing to my MP if I wasn't the MP and many of my friends don't but people do and they do when they probably haven't got anywhere else to turn to and you're the person to help them out So what happens next? Does this trend continue and MPs evolve further into glorified social workers? Because, well, as Steve Barclay's aide Duncan Baker said, things in the country simply aren't working properly. Traditionalists argue that members of parliament should spend their time scrutinising legislation and holding the government to account. But defenders of the constituency system point out that regardless of the motivation, Casework and canvassing keeps MPs in touch with the day-to-day challenges ordinary people face and the issues that concern them the most. And surely, if the result of our first past-the-post system is MPs going the extra mile for their constituents, maybe, at least, part of the system is working? And I say this while desperately trying not to sound too worthy. But it was genuinely humbling to watch MPs, and crucially, their teams 
attempt and occasionally succeed in solving people's problems when they really didn't have anywhere else to turn. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Westminster Insider. If you've enjoyed it, please do follow us, share this episode on social media, or even leave us a review. My producer this week was Eve Streeter of Whistledown Productions. And here at Politico, my executive producer is Christina Gonzalez, and my editor is Jack Blanchard. But before you go, I've got a special guest here to tell you what's coming up in next week's episode. Hello, Alva. Hello, hello. Loved your episode. Loved the Welsh cakes bit. (laughs) Thank you very much. Okay, tell us what we've got coming up next week. So, you've covered what MPs get up to over the summer months. And now that we're all back in Westminster and things are heating up again, I've got this essential briefing and what to expect from the next few months. Was there anything that surprised you? Oh, so, I obviously love all my guests equally. But there is a particularly interesting chat with Katie Bottles, the Spectator's political editor, where she runs us through all the big events coming up, reshuffles, Tory party conference, King's speech and so on. But I also think what really comes through is the general gear shift from number 10 and Rishi Sunak moving into attack mode, which I think is pretty interesting and I think there are some quite cool nuggets in there. Great, I'm really looking forward to that and you'll be able to hear it next Friday. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.